Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 13. Is there anybody here tonight that this is the first night you've been here this week? Can I see your hands? A few people. Praise God. Well, I've been teaching on different things. I talked first out of uh, Matthew chapter 14 about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then Peter walking on the water to Jesus. And then starting last night, I started teaching on the sower sows the seed out of Matthew chapter 13. And then this morning I continued with that and we hadn't gotten very far because this is something that has been so important in my life. I've meditated on it. There's just a lot in me about this. And one of the reasons that I've been sharing these things is because these are some of the foundational things that God started teaching me um, nearly 40 years ago. And, and I'm facing things in my life now during the last month or so. I was studying these scriptures and they were ministering to me all over again. I was getting all fired up about it. And so these are things that are not just way in the past. They're current. And these are indispensable truths in my life. And I just thought that, praise God, it had benefit everybody to hear these same things. So started teaching on the sower sows the seed. There was a man that just threw seed on the ground. There was four different types of ground. And only one out of four brought forth fruit. You know, I haven't mentioned this yet, but I think that one of the things to learn from this parable is that there's just a small percentage that actually produce fruit as a Christian. In this parable, it's only 25%. And you know, I don't know that this was one of the purposes of this parable is to say that only 25% of the people that God really tries to reach respond. I don't know if that's one of the purposes, but I do know this, that I've seen survey after survey and many different things that say it's around 20%, 20 to 25% of church members are the ones who give, who work, who cause things to happen. 20% provide 100% of the giving. In our ministry, we have a similar type of thing. 20% of the people, 20 to 25% of the people are the ones that give the vast bulk of all of the funds that come in. Last year, I think we had right at $20 million was our income. And I forget now all of the figures, but I think that the top, if I'm not mistaken, the top 500 givers gave 25% of all of that money out of 500 people. And you know, it's the same in churches. It's the same nearly everywhere. Did you know that there's just a small percentage of people that really bring forth fruit? And this is not what God intended. But we live in a fallen world and we live with an enemy and all of the pressures of this life are just coming and they are attacking the Word of God. The Word isn't going to produce in your life accidentally. It is going to take a lot of effort on your part to get the Word to work and most people are unwilling to give it. Most people, an hour a week is all that they're willing to give. Now, in a sense, I'm preaching to the choir because you're the people that came to this conference. And so, praise God, I don't believe that this is the typical uh, group that you minister to. But most of the people who claim Christianity are wanting things to just happen and they don't understand the principle that the Word is what produces it and they don't protect it. And one of the things that this parable teaches is that only one out of four types of ground brought forth. And also let me point this out. And this really ministered to me when the Lord first showed this to me because, you know, I was raised in a family where education was everything and all of these things. And it was all based on talents and looks 
and charisma and natural ability, which I had none of. And plus, when I first got turned on to the Lord, the Lord told me to quit school. So I was told that you will never make it. And when I told them God had called me to minister the word, they said, well, then you got to go to cemetery. I mean, seminary. And you got to <laughs> learn all of these things. And you can't be a preacher if you don't do all of this. And everybody was telling me that it's impossible to make it. And one of the things I got out of this parable was that, you know, the ground that brought forth the most fruit didn't have more. It had less. It had less thorns, less cares of this world, less rocks, less of all of these things. And I saw that the people that really brought forth fruit weren't the really gifted ones that had all of this stuff. It was the ones who had less, the simplest ones. And I thought, man, if that's what it takes to be fruitful, I can be less. I may not can be more, but I can be less. And that's one of the things that I got out of this. And it encouraged me that it's not the ground. The ground was essential. The ground is a part of it, but it's the seed that brings forth. It's the word. God spoke through a donkey once, not because that donkey was the most eloquent donkey around. Amen. If God could speak through a donkey, he can speak through me. He can speak through you. He can speak through any of us. And this just really impressed on me how important the word of God is. And so praise God. I, this has been just a powerful passage of scripture in my life. I'm using this life for today gospels again, because it's got all three Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account of this same thing here on, on one page. And it really helps to get the whole thing. So we've been studying the first two types. The first type of person is a person who didn't understand because the word has to be spiritually discerned. And if you don't understand, then Satan comes immediately and steals away the word. The only person he could do that to is the people that didn't understand. The second type of, of heart that the seed fell on was uh, a person who was excited about it, but they didn't take time to get rooted and grounded. And I spent all this morning talking about that. And boy, there, there were some powerful, powerful things uh, in my estimation that were said about that. You know, let me turn over in the 13th chapter of Matthew in verse 31 and 32 and also in Mark chapter 4 verses 30 through 34. There is another parable that Jesus taught right after this. It's during the same day. And in my way of uh, understanding, it's the same point that I was making this morning about how you have to let the word of God get rooted in your heart. And let me just read it out of Matthew's gospel. It says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, it says, another parable put he forth unto them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown... It is the greatest among herbs and becometh the tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Very simple passage of scripture. But you know, I remember that uh, when I was in Vietnam, right after I got there, uh, they had, uh, it was the first week that I was in Vietnam and they had what they call Vietnam training. When you got there, you had to go through some, some things that acclimated you to the country before you got assigned to your final place and shipped out. And anyway, I had had a bad experience. I won't go into all the detail, but uh, in basic training, they exposed us to this CS gas and it nearly killed me. I honestly thought I was gonna die. I came close to dying in my estimation. It was bad. 
I hated it. I'll scare you the, I'll spare you the gory details, but it was bad. And so anyway, when we were in Vietnam, they told us they were going to run us through this gas chamber again, and they were going to drop gas in there and you had to put your gas mask on and clear it and do all of this stuff. And, uh, I just was praying, Oh God, help me not to go through this again. Cause it nearly killed me. And at breakfast, they asked for a volunteer. You never volunteer for anything in the army. I mean, that's just stupid. Boy, they had asked for volunteers and you, you were always a sucker. If you volunteered, you just didn't do that. I had never volunteered, but that day I didn't care if they were going to use me as target practice. I figured that was better than going through the gas chamber. So man, I was the first one to volunteer. I was enthusiastic about volunteering, whatever they wanted me to do. And it turned out that while everybody else went through the gas chamber, they had me stay in the barracks and just guard it. So I was laying on my bunk studying the Bible. It was awesome. It turned out great. And I remember when I was there, I was reading Matthew chapter 13 and I came to this parable about this mustard seed. And I remember I was on the top bunk. I could draw you a picture of it. And I was reading this and I was saying, God, that's what I want. I would like my life to count. I want to become this huge tree that the fowls of the air could come and lodge in the branches thereof, that I could be a blessing to other people and that you could do something through me. And I was praying and I was asking God for that. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Andy, if you, if I was to make you this big tree that you desire right now with the root system that you've got, he said, the very first bird that landed on a branch, you'd fall over. Says the very first puff of wind, you'd, you wouldn't make it. He says, you hadn't got enough root to do anything. And the Lord through this just drew me a picture of this giant tree with a root about that deep. And he said, all somebody would have to do is just lean on you and you'd fall over. And you know what? It was really God speaking to me. And I remember that day saying, praise God, I am going to get rooted in the word of God. And this parable is making the same point that I believe is up there in the parable of the sower sowing the seed. You've got to have the word of God take root in you. And then in Matthew chapter 13, let's go back to the parable of the sower sowing the seed. In verse 20, it says, for he that would receive seed into the stony places, the same is he that heareth the word and anon with joy receive it yet. Oh, I've already read that. That's the one I just preached on. Let's go to verse 22. He also that receives seed. The reason I did that is because I usually preach this out of Math, uh, Mark chapter 4. That's the one that I'm most familiar with. But in verse 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Let's read it over in uh, Mark's account, the exact same thing in verse uh, 18. It says, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. So uh, Mark adds to it uh, the lust of other things entering in. In Luke's account, Luke chapter 8 in verse 14, it says, And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to completion. 
Man, this is a powerful statement. And you know, this is, this is something that I believe that our American lifestyle, or it's not just American, but any developed country where we have abundance and stuff, this is one of the major things that Satan uses to steal away the word. Matter of fact, if you look that word up, that the cares of this life, if you look it up in the Strong's, it just literally is talking about that uh, it's the desire for all of these things. Some of the other translations put it that way. And we get deluded in our focus. One of the point, one of the keys of scripture is like in uh, Philippians chapter three, Paul said this, one thing I do. And that's the reason that Paul was successful is because his focus was completely on the Lord. A laser, the strength of a laser is the fact that all of that light is concentrated into a single beam. If you diffuse the light, it loses its power. If you diffuse your attention, you lose power. One of the scriptural principles is that you've got to be single-minded on things. You know, there are some people that are so talented that they can do multiple things. But the people who win the Olympics, the people who are the world's best are people who do only one thing. They have to focus. They have to choose and do one thing. And, and the fact that some people are so talented they can do many things is actually a curse in a sense because they never just focus on one thing and give themselves completely to it. If I had time, I could really verify this, but just take my word for it that I promise you, you are not going to be a complete success. You won't reach your full potential unless you devote yourself exclusively to what you believe God has called you to do. And when it comes to the word, this life of a society where we have so many blessings and so many good things that are in their place are okay, you can get choked the Word of God can be choked by the cares of this life. The cares here isn't talking about necessarily X-rated movies, uh, something that is demonic. It's just talking about being occupied with life. You can get so focused on the things of this life, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, which is talking about that we think that money is our answer to our happiness and stuff and that we would be fulfilled if we just had a bigger house, a bigger car, more money. And there is a deceitfulness. There is a lie and a deception about money that this is what's going to satisfy you. You know what? When people die, there's not a single person that says, oh, I wished I'd have had more money. Man, when people die, it's always something about, I wished I would have given more time to my family. I wished I would have done something else. Money is not your answer. The Bible says, be not deceived. Don't think that the, the, um, a man's life consists in the abundance of the things which he has. You know, most of our parents and grandparents had much less than what we do. And yet, did you know that they had better marriages? They didn't have near the divorce rate. They were happier. It was much less. They didn't have near the conveniences. And yet most of them were much more happy and stuff. And it is a lie. It's a deception. One of the uh, lies about the American dream is that if I could just have all of these things, it'll produce happiness. Happiness is not found in the abundance of the things that you possess. There is a deceitfulness. And so because of it, there are people out chasing the almighty buck. I could get plumb off the subject here. It would be, it'd be good, but I'm just going to say this real quickly. 
that you know what? There are some people that are trying to have such a big house and such a big car and doing all of these things that they mortgage their life for it. And they are working two jobs. Husband and wife are both working. The children are suffering as a result because we are so focused on money and on material things. And it's causing you. The scripture says over in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that those who covet are lust after money pierce themselves through with many sorrows and hurtful lust which drown men in perdition. Boy, that is really applicable to our situation. People are just trying to have everything. And we have this whole society that is telling you that you don't have to wait and pay cash. You can get it credit now. And they give you all of these deals, zero interest for a year. But then they don't tell you that they start charging 20% after that. And you know what? If you buy stuff on credit and do all of the things that this world is offering, you'll never crawl out. You'll be, you'll always be behind. If you buy a car with a five-year loan on it, did you know that the vast majority of people do not keep a car five years? You could have an automobile accident. All kinds of things could happen. Cars wear out. If you get a five-year loan on a car, the odds are that you are going to be upside down in that. And so you go get a new car and they'll be glad to just roll that into your new five-year loan. And before you know it, you're really upside down. And then you've dug yourself a hole and then you have to go get a different job. And you, have, and you come under all of this stress, which could have been avoided. It never should have been done. But people, the, you can get so into this world system to where you have no time for God. It's where you are working day and night and it'll choke the word of God. It doesn't have to be sin. You could be out doing a job and being a constructive job and doing something good. And yet you've got to have time, not just quality time, but quantity time to be able to focus on the Lord. Thank you for both of those amens. <laughs> you know, the word of God just doesn't fit into the American lifestyle. It really doesn't. We're working two and three jobs and then we've got our kids and they've got to be in everything. We have to take them here and there and everywhere. Uh, Very few Americans sit down and eat meals together. It's hard on the family. We wonder why families fall apart and it's because we are chasing the almighty buck. We have go, it's covetousness. The Bible says Colossians 3, 5, covetousness, which is idolatry, coveting things, wanting this and wanting that. Again, I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to have things, but they ought to be byproducts of seeking first the kingdom of God. It should not be our focus. God will add things to you. I've got nice cars. There's nothing wrong with having nice things, but they shouldn't be your goal. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we get so embedded into this society that we have all of these pressures and things that choke the word of God. If you plant a seed in the ground, the ground only has so many nutrients that it can provide. And if you allow weeds to grow up and thorns, it chokes that seed. The nutrients that should be going to the tomato plant that you want are going to be taken up by the weeds and you aren't going to bring any fruit to perfection. I think that that's the way that Luke says it. Notice it said that fruit was there. It just wasn't perfect. In other words, the fruit was rotten or it was uh, dwarfed. It wasn't something that you would brag about and want to show somebody else because it was choked by all of these other things. 
Your life only has so much effort that you can give to something. And you know what? You have to keep a priority on the Word of God. I've had people that come to me and they've asked me to do things as hobbies. And they said, you know, you need to do this. There's nothing wrong with it. And there is nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having a hobby. But you know what? Right now, my life is so that I just hadn't got any time to be doing anything else, even if it's okay, even if it's something that other people like. I have to devote myself and put priority on the Word of God. And let me also say this, that you know what? I don't go out and do things that most people call sin, and yet I still fight against this because the ministry can choke the Word. You know, I'm really blessed. God has given me an awesome, awesome people. He has just sent people to me that do everything they can to keep me doing what God called me to do. And I am blessed, blessed, blessed. But you know, even at that, there's, I could still get to where I am focused on the ministry and dealing with things, especially this building program. I could be dealing with all of that and get so busy that I don't have any time for the Word of God. And it would choke the Word. It doesn't have to be sin. It doesn't have to be rebellion. It can be good things. It can just be life. Or as Luke said in his account, the pleasures of this life. You can get to where you're just spending so much time going to the movies. That you're spending so much time doing things that in themselves aren't wrong, but you just don't leave any time to sit and let the Word of God soak into your life and take root. It will keep you from being fruitful. This is really important. It's much more important than what most people know. And like I was saying at the beginning, there's no reason why only about 25% of the people who are exposed to the Word of God ever bring forth fruit. And it's because it takes more effort than most people are wanting to give. Most people are not wanting to put a priority on it. You know, I, in a sense, I've lost about 40 years of American culture. I went for 25, 20 years or 25 years and never watched television. Now, I do watch television some now. I'd be better off probably if I didn't. But I went for 20 or 25 years and never watched television. I don't watch much sports. It was only about five or six years ago that I finally said, all right, I'm going to watch football because I used to love football before I got turned on to the Lord. So about five or six years ago, I decided I'd just give in and start watching football. But you know what? I'm ministering on Sunday and I watch about two or three games a year because I'm busy all the time. I just don't have time to do it. And so anyway, I don't know all of the sports stuff. I can't win the trivia games. I don't know all of this stuff. And some of you just think that that's terrible. But you know what? Praise God. I've seen my son raised from the dead and I see other things happen. You can't do everything. Contrary to opinions... You cannot effectively multitask. I always get taken to task when I say that. But the Bible teaches you got you to focus. And you know what? You need to be focused on the Word of God. And most of us are coming from a de deficit. Most of us are coming from gross ignorance of the Word of God. And most of what we have is just religious traditions that make the Word of none effect. And you aren't going to overcome this religious tradition without a lot of effort. And so I'm telling you that if you want the Word of God to produce in your life, it is going to have to become a priority. 
It's going to have to get more important to you than having your second and third job and having your fourth car for two people in the family and having your fifth flat screen TV and you would be better off to do without some things and have some downtime so that you could sit and study the Word and meditate on the things of God. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're listening. And again, you know what? This is not going to be real popular because most people are going to think, man, I, I want these things. I really am motivated to do it. Most of us are more motivated to get out and, and receive all of the pleasures of this life than we are to be in the Word of God. The Word of God is not a great priority to most people. And I'm telling you that that's one reason that we aren't bearing fruit. This is really simple. This is powerful. And every person in here, I believe, deals with this. I have to deal with it. Every person has to deal with keeping your priorities right and making sure that you put a priority on the Word of God. And then the last type of soil here in Mark chapter 4, it says in verse 20, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the Word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. If you read the same thing over in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, it says, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Boy, again, there is a lot to be said about that. I'm, I'm going to say some other things tonight, so I'm going to hit this real quick. But you bring forth fruit with patience. And the last type of soil, the one that was fruitful was the one that had less than the others. It had weeded out all of the weeds. It had taken the rocks out. It had broken up the fallow ground. And the people that are really going to be fruitful are not the people that are special and better than everybody else, but instead it's the people that honestly do less. They don't have other things coming in and choking the word of God. That is really simple. And that is powerful. I'm telling you, there is not a person in here that couldn't become fruitful in the Word of God. There's not a person in here that if you were to take the Word of God and meditate in it day and night, you would, not make, you would make your way prosperous and you would have good success. There isn't a single person in here that this wouldn't work for. The only thing is the lack of commitment, the lack of willingness to do these things because we get sidetracked with something else. It's absolutely true. And I can tell you, any good thing that's happening in our life is happening because we have spent decades meditating in the Word of God. And the Word of God has done all of these things. You know, when I first started in the ministry, I remember praying. I was kneeling around my bed and I was praying and God gave me a glimpse of what he wanted me to do and what he wanted me to accomplish. And then I was going to be reaching people all over the world. And I was an introvert, couldn't even look at a person in the face. How could I stand in front of people? How could I ever do anything? And I tell you, I was overwhelmed when I had this little glimpse of what God wanted me to do. And I remember kneeling around my bed and I was praying and saying, God, how do I get from here to there? And when I opened my eyes, I had my Bible on my bed open. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, if you will stick your nose in that Bible and read it day and night, I'll teach you everything you need to know. And that just became a focus of mine. 
that became what I did. And I mean, for decades, this, I just would study the word. You know, you go through periods in your life before I got married, I'd spend 15 hours, especially in Vietnam, just reading the Bible every day. And then you get married and things change. You have kids come along. You don't have the same amount of time. But as much time as I've had, I've always put a priority on trying to study the Word of God. And I still do that. I still study the Word more than most people. And you know, during this last year, I've probably gotten more revelation, more brand new things out of the Word than any other year in my life. I have read it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and the Word of God is just alive. If you think, well, I've already read it, why would I want to read it again? You've read it with your head, not with your heart. I tell you, and I was talking to someone this week and they said something about that they had already heard these things. And I said, you know what? If this doesn't excite you, then it's not revelation knowledge to you. When it's revelation, when God is speaking it to you, I can hear people preach on the exact same thing I preach on and get just thrilled because man, it's real to me. It's exciting to me. If the word ever loses its attraction for you, it is an indication that you're spiritually unhealthy. I tell you what, the word of God ought to be exciting to you. And if you would just do these things, you will produce. And notice there's 30, 60, and 100 fold. Even among the ones that produced, the 25% that did bring forth fruit, there was great variation there. And it, it basically comes down to some people give themselves to the word more than others. Some people stand for the word more than others. Some people compromise the word. And if you do that, it will limit your fruitfulness. You know what I'd like to do now is turn over to uh, Mark chapter 4. This is also recorded in Matthew chapter uh, 13. In Mark chapter uh, 4, beginning with verse 35, this is also in Matthew chapter 8. You know, if you're paying attention, we've just read out of Matthew chapter 13. Did you know that the next thing that happened in sequence... You have to jump back from Matthew 13 to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew didn't record things in the proper sequence. Luke is the only one who said that he was doing that. And so anyway, it's important to get all of this and put it into its uh, context. And then in Luke chapter 8, this same thing is recorded. But look at this in Mark chapter 4 and in verse 35. After he had taught 10 parables, again, you don't get that unless you put all of the gospels together but he taught 10 parables in one day, a tremendous amount of teaching. And then it says in Mark chapter four and verse 35, and the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. Now this is really important because it says the same day. Again, if you read in Matthew's account, he goes from Matthew 13 to Matthew chapter eight and you lose this connection. But this is the exact same instance. And when you read it in Mark's account, it's very clear that it was the same day that he had taught them about the sower sowing the seed, about the parable of the mustard seed and about the man who just cast seed into the ground and the, and the parable of the tares among the wheat and all of these powerful parables. It was the same day that he taught those things that he told his disciples, let's get into a boat and go to the other side. And in verse 36, it says, And when he had sent away the multitude, when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. 
And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, this is a great passage of scripture. And I just want to point out that it was the same day that he had taught them all of these parables. And he had been teaching about how that the kingdom of the heaven operates on this principle like a seed. In the same way that all life on this earth operates by a seed, the kingdom of God operates on the word. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John chapter one, verse one, Jesus is called the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. All things were created by Jesus. Colossians chapter one says, and he spoke the worlds into existence. He said, let there be light. Everything, this whole world system, everything was created by words. And he had been teaching them the power and the uh, miraculous power of words. And so at the same day that he had taught them all of this, he said, he gave them a word. And he said, let's get into the ship and go to the other side. This is the same point that I was making in Matthew chapter 14 when Peter walked on the water. He didn't, he told him to go to the other side. He didn't tell him to go halfway and drown. So you know what? He had taught them about the power of the word and how that the word will do everything if you will just honor God's word. And then in a sense, it's like he gave them a pop quiz. He'd been teaching them all day. Here's the importance of the word. And then... He says, all right, let's go to the other side. He gave them a word. And you know what? They didn't understand the importance of the word. They got out there. Jesus got into the ship and it says he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on the pillow. And you know what? This was not a big ocean liner or uh, yacht where it had berths below the ground or below deck and he wasn't in some berth someplace drying out of the water. You know, we've been on the Sea of Galilee and they have this little boat they call the Jesus boat. You know, it's not the one that Jesus used, but that was the name of this boat, this tourist thing. And they said that that is the kind of boat that was used. And we had about, what, 30 or 40 people that were on that boat, but it was just all open. There was nowhere to hide. If they were in the midst of a storm and it says that the boat was full then that means that Jesus was sloshing around in this water. He was not down someplace dry and out of the weather. He knew what was going on. And here were the disciples fighting for their life and trying to stay afloat. And Jesus is over there. You know he knows what's going on. He's wet, he's drenched, he's sloshing in the water and yet he's doing nothing. And so the disciples come to him And they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? In other words, don't you care about what's happening? We're dying. Do something. Grab a bucket and bail. Get an oar and row. Do something. Pull your weight. You know, we could criticize the disciples for that, but let me just point out. 
that you know what? People come to me all the time and they say, God hasn't healed me yet. Why hasn't God healed me? I prayed I'm doing all of these things and God is doing nothing. There's people that have this exact same attitude thinking that God is not doing anything. But let me point this out to you. God's part is to give you the seed, the word. He sent Jesus. Jesus was the word. And then the word, Jesus gave us words, promises, such as go to the other side. He did his part. He spoke the same God that created the heavens and the earth said, let's go to the other side. And in those words was enough power for them to overcome that storm and do all of these things. Jesus was raising up disciples. Like if you read that account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 over in in, uh, John's account, John chapter six, it says that when he says, how shall we feed so many people? It says this, he said to prove them because he himself knew what he would do. Jesus wasn't asking a question and wringing his hands like, how are we going to feed all these people? He knew what he was going to do. He was trying to bring the disciples into this and make them followers of him. He was trying to get them to say, well, why don't you just multiply the food? He was always trying to get his disciples. He's trying to work himself out of a job and get other people to do what he was doing. Today, it's just the opposite. Most ministers are presenting it that I've got an anointing. I'm the clergy. You're the laity and you can't hear from God. And we tend to make ourselves exclusive because it really does draw people to you and make them dependent upon you. There's a lot of people that do that. But Jesus was constantly trying to get them involved. And the reason he was asleep on the pillow, and I believe he knew what was going on, but the reason he didn't do anything is because he'd done his part. And now he had taught the disciples all day about the power of the word and how it works and how that the word of God is what makes everything work. He was wanting them to take the power and the authority and the words that he had said, and he wanted them to rebuke the storm. And to prove that, look at what he did. After he got up and stilled the storm, he said, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. In verse 40, he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Did you know today, if say for instance, I was in a ship and I had told you we're going to the other side and then I went to sleep. And if you came into a storm, did you know the average person would come against me and why aren't you doing something? You don't care. You aren't showing compassion towards these people. And they would criticize me for a lack of compassion. That's what they were doing to Jesus. But you know what? Jesus didn't get up and say, guys, I'm sorry. I really should have been there for you. I should have been helping you. I I shouldn't have been asleep. I'm sorry. I was tired. I've been preaching all day. And, you know, instead of apologizing and somehow or another trying to just be sympathetic and showing some compassion towards them, you know what? Jesus got up and rebuked them. And he says, why are you fearful? They probably went, duh, we're dying. Amen. (laughs) We're in the midst of a storm. We're going to drown. And you're asking, why are we fearful? Jesus was trying to bring them up to his level instead of come down to their level. And he said, you shouldn't have been fearful. He wasn't pleased with them being fearful. He wasn't pleased with their inability to deal with this thing. And then he says, how is it that you have no faith? 
any way you want to slice this, Jesus was rebuking them for their carnality and them being only human. Jesus had given them supernatural power over everything. He expected them to deal with it. He had told them about the power of the word and then gave them a test. Here, guys, let's see if you can do this. We're going to the other side. And he went to sleep. And you know what? It was not his responsibility to rebuke the wind and the waves. It was those disciples' responsibility to rebuke the wind and the waves. And they failed this test. And so Jesus did it for him, but then he turned around and he did not express pleasure. He says, how is it that you are so fearful? Why do you have no faith? You know, the same thing happened in the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew when Jesus had come off the Mount of Transfiguration and a man had brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus to cast the spirits out. And yet Jesus was up on the mountain, so he had to deal with his disciples and his disciples could not cast the demon out. And the man said, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't do it. But if you can do anything, have mercy on us. How did Jesus respond and say, guys, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have left you alone. I should have been here. This is too big for you. Forgive me for abandoning you. No, Jesus turned around and he said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to be here? He was saying, in a sense, guys, I expect you to do better than this. I gave you authority over all demons and over all sickness. Why don't you do what I've empowered you to do? And I can guarantee you, Jesus is not pleased with our lack of power in the church today. I believe that the Lord loves us. I believe that the Lord is not mad at us. He operates in grace, but it does not bless him that the church is basically sending the sick to the doctors and sending the poor to the government and sending the people that are having emotional problems to the psychiatrist. They don't need to depart. We ought to be able to feed them. We ought to be able to take care of this. But it's because we haven't taken the seed and planted it in our heart. And we think it's up to the Lord. God, do something. Don't you care that we perish? His part is done. He sent the word to this earth and the word, his son died for our sins and gave us all power and all authority. And then he told us like in, there's many places, but Mark chapter 11, verse 23, whosoever will say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He told you to speak to the mountain. He told you, and yet most Christians are saying, oh God, we are nothing. We have nothing. We're powerless. The doctor says we're going to die. Jesus, would you please heal me? You're advocating your responsibility and your power and authority. And we're acting like it's up to God whether or not you get healed. It's not up to God whether or not you get healed. God has already done it. He already sent his son. His son generated the power and placed the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead on the inside of every one of us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of you. And then he, Matthew chapter 10 verse 8 gave us a command to go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the, the, the dead. It didn't tell you to pray for the sick. It didn't tell you, tell you to say, oh God, we can't do anything. We ask you if it's your will to stretch forth your mighty hand and touch us. He told you to heal the sick. Peter said in Acts chapter 3, when he went into the 
temple. They saw this lame man there and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. Did you know that that would get Peter kicked out of nearly any church in America today? People would say, how dare you say that you have the power? Well, it's not my power, it's God's power. I can't heal a gnat, but it's God's power that is in me, I have it. People will quote John chapter 15, verse five, without me, you can do nothing. And I agree that that's true, but the truth is I'm never without him. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And for me just to say, oh God, it's cancer. I can't do anything. You're already in unbelief. You're already in, you put yourself crossways to the word of God. God said he gave you power. He told you to speak to your mountain. He told you to heal the sick. And yet we start off and we don't understand the power of his word. And we say, oh, well, I know that he did that for the disciples. He said that, man, those who believe on him will do the same works that he did. John chapter 14, verse 12. And on and on and on we could go. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get the word of God in our heart. We've got to take the power and authority and recognize that when God said that he gave us all authority in heaven and earth. And everything, every sickness, every disease, all demons are under our feet. There is no exception. And the only thing that is keeping that from working is our unbelief. The same thing we're on with the disciples. Most of us would think, well, man, how could he expect anything different of them? Because he had spent all day long. God Almighty had come in flesh and had spent all day long teaching about the power that is in his word. He had taught them how that the word works. And then he gave them a test to see what they would do. And they came up as if they had never heard any word, as if Jesus wasn't the son of God, as if he hadn't said, go to the other side. They were acting like mere human beings. Those of you have heard me preach very often have heard me quote this song that goes, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. It's got a little catchy tune, but that'll kill you. I am not only human. I am not just a man. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. I am a brand new creature. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, we've got to take the word of God and the truths of the word of God. And we've got to plant them on the inside of us to the point that, praise God, we begin to recognize that God has given us power. You know, I try and be nice to people, but the older I get, I'm just getting more blunt and more blunt. And it bothers me when people come and they will tell me what the doctor has said and they'll be in a teary voice and their voice breaking like, it's bad, I'm dying, I can't do anything. Would you please help me? And I just want to slap them. <laughs> and most people think, well, how terrible. But Jesus said that you, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you, you shall condemn. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And on and on and on and on and on the promises go. And yet people come constantly just voiding everything that God has said and basically presenting this thing of how pitiful they are. And how bad their situation is. And would you please do it for me? And I tell you, it's hard sometimes to keep from just telling people. 
that, man, you aren't, you have missed it. If you're feeling powerless, you do not know the word of God. The word of God has not taken root on the inside of you. You don't know who you are in Christ. Thank you for that thunderous silence. And you know, again, most Christians will criticize me about, man, you aren't being compassionate. You could say the exact same thing about Jesus. He didn't get up and say, guys, I'm sorry that I left you here alone and I was trying to get 40 winks. No, he didn't apologize. He got up and he said, you faithless people, why don't you have any faith? How come nobody's believing what I'm saying? You know, God is so full of mercy. I'm just amazed at how merciful Jesus was. You know, a friend of mine says there's a reason they're called the disciples. <laughs> Amen. This bunch of guys just didn't get it. And right at his crucifixion, the night before his crucifixion, he told them, where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. And Philip says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know? He was less than 24 hours out of being out of here. He was turning this whole thing over to these 12 guys. And he says, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And they say, oh, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. You know what? I think I'd have said, father, King's X, give me another three years with these guys. They hadn't got a chance. We'll never make it. I could just imagine the angels looking down and saying, that's it. You're going to give this over to them? Boy, the faith that God has in us is amazing. The patience that he has. He said all of these things. And yeah, I can guarantee you there's bunches of people in here that you've been feeling like, oh God, there's just nothing that I can do. When he says, you're the head, not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. He has said all of these powerful words over you and it just doesn't seem to make any difference whatsoever in the way we approach our problems. We approach it as if we're the loser. You know, I do understand there's things in my life that I believe are God's will that I haven't seen come to pass and I'm dealing with it. And I understand that sometimes there's a period of time and you have to be patient and it takes time. And so anyway, I can understand that a person may not have everything that they believe is theirs manifest in their life. But then to approach this as if you have nothing to do with it and there's nothing that you can do and you're just sitting there waiting on God and wondering when God is going to do something. Man, I do not relate to that attitude at all. There are things that I'm still believing for, but you know what? I'm praying. I'm building myself up. I'm searching the word of God for that seed that is going to provide the need that I have. And I am actively pursuing it and getting around other people and trying to build myself up. To just in, adopt and embrace this powerlessness that most Christians have is counterproductive. And it shows that the word of God doesn't have root in your life. You know, when you start taking the word and meditating it, it just... Somehow or another, I don't know how to describe this, but it changes your attitude. It takes away this hopelessness. You know that something's happening. You know, when a woman gets pregnant, when the seed is sown in her, there's a period of time that she doesn't know she's pregnant. But pretty soon, she begins to start recognizing she's pregnant long before anybody else does. But eventually, you know, that just be, it gets to a point 
effect where not only does she know she's pregnant, but everybody else knows she's pregnant. She's great with child and you can see it. And it's the same thing in, in a person's life. When you get the word of God, you first start off and you may not know how much the word's changing you, but within a very short period of time, you begin to know that boy, something is different. I'm different. The word of God is changing me. And you know it, nobody else knows it. They look at you and think, nope, there's nothing special about you, but you know God's word is working on the inside. But then you pass a threshold to where other people can see that you're pregnant with the word of God and they can see that it's happening. And I can tell you, I was telling somebody this week, they said, how do you know if you're in faith instead of just hoping? And you know, I don't have the words really to describe that. But I just told him, I said, I remember when we were in Childress, Texas. And I, this was in 1975 and 76, or 76 and 77 is when we were there. And I had been praying and believing and I had prayed for people. I'd seen some blind eyes open a couple of years prior to that. And I'd seen some things happen, but I was as shocked when it happened as anybody. I mean, I was praying and doing these things, but uh, it was kind of like, you know, an old blind squirrel will get a nut every once in a while if he doesn't quit. And I just stumbled upon a few miracles. But when we were in Childress, Texas, I remember one day just sitting down and knowing that I was walking in faith. I was living by faith. I was no longer trying. I did it. I knew it. The word, I just knew it. And I knew that faith was working in my life. Now, that's not a static thing, and you have to continue to do that. But I mean, I remember when the Word of God began to be so strong in my life, I knew I had faith. And you'll know it. If you are still approaching your situation as if you are absolutely powerless... And you're just saying, oh God, it's all up to you. And you haven't understood that God has already done his part. Now he's placed his power on the inside of you. And it's up to you to release his power. You're his hands in this world. It's up to you to speak. If you don't have that revelation on the inside of you, then the word of God hasn't really taken root. And that's the reason that you aren't seeing things come to pass. You know, Ashley and Carly in just two weeks time had gotten the authority of the believer, a better way to pray and knew better when uh, Hannah started to throw up and reject that food, they knew that they had authority. And instead of just saying, oh God, she's going back into it again. Oh God, don't let us go back down this road. And instead of pleading and crying and begging God, waking Jesus up and say, don't you care about us? Do something with Hannah. They took their authority and they commanded her to keep that food down. And that's the reason that Hannah's alive today is because they took that authority. Amen. I tell you, the things I've said here are just, this is basic. This is really, this is something that a Christian ought to learn within the first week. This is baby stuff. This isn't deep. This is as elementary as you can get it. The importance of God's word and how that the word of God is like a seed that if you want healing, find the healing scriptures planted in your life and don't let Satan steal it from you. If you want prosperity, find the scriptures on prosperity, meditate in it and it'll produce. You know, back in, I think it was 95 or 96, right after we started the Bible school, 
God began to show me that this ministry was just really getting ready to take off and that we were going to just grow exponentially. And I knew that with growth came finances. And at that time, we were struggling. My board had told me that we were bankrupt, that we ought to quit, close the ministry down. We were struggling nearly every day of our life to keep the ministry going. And I knew that for us to grow, we had to have a breakthrough in finances. So you know what I did? I didn't pray and ask God for finances. What I did was go to the Word. And I took about a hundred scriptures on prosperity and I wrote them out on my computer. And then I put them in a file and I, for the next two years, I just started going through scriptures on prosperity and meditating on them and thinking about it. And they were all scriptures that I knew. I could quote nearly every one, but that doesn't matter. I had a deficiency over here. And if I had a deficiency, then even though I could quote the word, that didn't mean it was in my heart. It didn't mean I had understanding. I took those scriptures and I began to meditate on those scriptures for two years. And if you would have asked me during that period of time, what's happened? Nothing. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you any difference. Our finances hadn't improved. We were still struggling. And then one day I had this man, Dean Melton, who I was seeing prosperity work in his life. I invited him to come to our Bible school and share with our students because there was prosperity working in him and in the people in his church in a way that I'd never seen it before. I mean, they were doing awesome things. And so I canceled everything. I went and for two days sat in my own Bible college and listened to Pastor Dean Melton from Charlotte, North Carolina teach on prosperity. And I had a yellow pad of paper. I very seldom take notes. Long story about that, but I just don't take notes. But I had a yellow pad and I was going to fill it up. I was going to learn everything he had to say. Did you know over two days, I never wrote a thing down. I never took a note. I never did anything. He never said one thing that I didn't know. He didn't quote one scripture that I hadn't seen. But all of a sudden, he believed it. I didn't believe it. I was timid. I was letting the fear of what people thought about me. And there is such resistance to preachers talking about prosperity that I had allowed that to steal away the word in my life. And I didn't learn anything, but I believed what I'd already been meditating on. And in one day like that, my life changed. And you know, prior to that time, we would go hold a meeting and at that time, I'd invite Charlie and Jill to come. This is back in the 90s. And I'd invite them to come and a couple of other ministers. We had hold it in a church, but the airfare and their gifts that I gave them and their uh, hotel things, our budget was always around $10,000 for a week's meeting. And we would take up offerings and I'd get $9,996 and go four in the hole. Or I might get $10 over. It was always right at a break-even point. And it was okay because over a period of time, we'd have people become partners and, and we'd get more money. And so it was okay. We were making it, but it was just a struggle every time. Did you know I didn't change one thing? I didn't say anything different. I didn't do anything different. And within a week after that revelation, I went and held a meeting in Phoenix, Arizona, did the exact same thing I always did. Our budget was 10000 and we started getting 25000 and $35,000. May not do anything. I had changed in my heart. The Word of God had been planted 
and boom, it produced. And some people think, well, man, that happened quick. Well, it happened over two years. Just because you didn't see any growth didn't mean that nothing was happening below the soil. I've been told that there's actually a bamboo plant that in the first four years, all it does is produce one stem and one leaf about that tall for four years. And then in the fourth year, that bamboo plant grows 18 feet in one growing season, which is only about six months. And I actually sat down and figured out, averaged out how much that had to grow per hour. And did you know it's like an eighth of an inch or something per hour? You could nearly watch it grow. And people look at that and think, man, that is an amazing growth, 18 feet in, in six months. No, it was 18 feet in four years. Those roots were an important part of it. Getting that thing to germinate was essential to this growth. And it's the same things. I knew I needed help in the area of finances and I meditated on scripture and I may not have seen any results for a couple of years, but I guarantee you when I heard that spark that ignited this seed I had on the inside of me, that two year process was a vital part of this. And you know, I can truthfully say since the mid nineties, I have not asked God for a penny. And we have to have about $20 million a year to pay our bills. And with this new building, it's going to be around 30 to $40 million on top of that $20 million. And you know what? I never ask God for money. I never pray about it because I've planted a seed and it's just producing. I can guarantee you the vast majority of people that have a financial problem are begging God constantly to please supply my need. Please move. If your needs aren't being supplied, it's because somewhere there is a seed, a truth, a revelation in God's word that isn't reality in your life. You aren't cooperating with it and Satan is stopping you somehow. Somebody's sitting right there thinking, oh, well, now you aren't taking into account the recession. You're absolutely right. God said he had supply my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that recession does not cancel that out. And if you are taking the recession into account and saying, well, yeah, Philippians 419 doesn't work if we're in a recession, then, they, then you've allowed recession to steal the word out of your heart. And that's the reason you aren't prospering. God's word will work all the time, anytime. I was meeting with Leland and Ann today and I was complimenting them and talking about that our people in Uganda, now get this, Uganda is a third world country. Most of them live in little huts and cardboard things and things that most of you wouldn't want to live in. Did you know when I was there, our Bible college students, 50 something students in the school, 55 students, did you know that they took up an offering for me to help me build my campus over here. They gave me 55 Ugandan students, gave me $1,500 to come back here and build our place with. There's not one out of a thousand people that will believe that another country can help America. Did you know at our, uh, we, we visited a church with uh, Dr. Moses, his church. And did you know that they gave us, wasn't it $1,500? That church took up an offering to help us build our building over here. We left Uganda and it seemed like somebody else gave us some money, didn't they? 
Who? Oh, the orphanage that we support. We support an orphanage. We're helping them build an orphanage. They gave us an offer and we came back with 1,500. So that was three poverty-stricken places that sowed $1,500 a piece into our thing. Because you know what? The Word of God works in Uganda. We've got 55 students in Uganda that they said you can't charge anything for. But you know what? Leland said, we need to teach these people that the Word will work in Uganda. And you know what? They charge our 55 students uh, $800 a year for their tuition. People say, you can't do that in a third world country. I think every one of them's paid up. Many of them are paying other people's tuition. It's working. Man, Anne is teaching prosperity. I read testimony after testimony of people that were poor before they came and now they're prosperous. They have two and three businesses and God is blessing them. See, if you're thinking, there was a pastor I used to have who said that this prosperity message is only a American gospel. It won't work anywhere else in the world. You know what? He had the word stolen out of his heart. He's let the lies of other people deceive him. The word of God will work in any culture. It'll work in any situation. It'll work for any person. That doesn't mean that every person is going to live in the equivalent of a 500,000 American home, but they'll have the nicest grass hut in the village. They'll have their needs met. It'll work for them. And I do. Amen. Do you have the nicest grass hut? (laughs) I tell you, brothers and sisters, we got to get to a place to where the word of God settles it. It is absolute and you believe it. And if you have a need, take the word and plant it in your heart and it will produce what you need. If you aren't getting the fruit that you desire, it's because you haven't planted a seed or you've allowed the devil to root it up. You've allowed something else to come in and choke it. You give priority to the word of God and the word of God will put you over without exception. I believe it absolutely. Some people think, well, you're just dreaming. Well, don't wake me up because it's working. (laughs) Praise God. Amen. I've shared some awesome truths with you. I know that they're real simple and sometimes because they're so simple, people miss the profoundness of it. But this would change your life. I encourage you to please take this. You need to get the CDs of this meeting and you need to go through it and let these truths sink down on the inside of you. You need to get some corresponding teaching. You need to go to the Word of God and go to meditating in it. And I promise you, there's not a person in here that the Word won't work for. It's an incorruptible seed. It'll work if you'll work it. But you're going to have to understand it. You're going to have to let it get rooted. You're going to have to give a priority to where nothing else competes with it for the nourishment that you can supply. And you're going to have to be patient. And if you'll do those things, I guarantee you, it'll work for any single person. If what I've said is true, which it is, then every one of you ought to leave here saying, man, I got it. Now I'm going to get in the word of God and meditate and whatever I need, it's just a matter of time until I get it. That's the right response. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you and we are so thankful for these truths. Thank you for sharing with us how the kingdom works. Father, thank you for making it so simple. Thank you, Father, for these parables that reveal 
how everything in the kingdom of God works. And Father, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would take these truths and just burn them into people's hearts, that the word of God would be like fire shut up in their bones. That Father, people would leave here and they would quit saying that they're powerless and that they just can't understand, that they would understand exactly what the problem is. That, Father, we would be able to remedy it. That we would get in the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to direct us to the very things that we need to put us over. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I believe that your Holy Spirit is doing that and I thank you for transformation. That we are not going to be conformed to this world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind and prove, make manifest to the physical senses the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Father, we just thank you and we give you glory, Father. I believe that there are people here that are getting it, that are understanding. I believe that with joy they're receiving this word and that, Father, it's going to produce a hundredfold in their life. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive that. And we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. So brothers and sisters, I believe this has been a divine appointment this week. If you've received it, I believe that God has given you the things that you need to be able to succeed and bear fruit. Amen. Isn't that good? Is there anybody here tonight? I know we've had over a hundred people baptized in the Holy Spirit. Lots of people saved. Great miracles happen. But you know, again, I just don't want to take for granted and let somebody leave without giving you the opportunity of receiving Jesus as your personal Lord. Is there anybody here who's not born again? That's the very first seed that you need to receive from God. The truth that you can't save yourself. You need a savior. And Jesus died for your sins. All you have to do is make him your Lord. If you've never done that, you need to respond tonight. And then once you get born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. It's more than that, but that it includes that. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to receive this gift. Is there anybody here tonight that would say, I need one or both of those I would like to receive? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's somebody here at the back. Anybody else? Help me if I can't see your hand. I got light shining in my eyes, but man, we don't want to miss you. Praise the Lord. Amen. You know, if you raised your hand or if you're supposed to raise your hand, didn't do it. Just get up out of your seat and come forward. We want to pray with you and help you to receive here tonight. Praise God. Be bold. Come forward. Let's pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Awesome. Just stand right here. Amen. God bless you. Anybody else want to come and receive here tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Isn't this great? God loves the two of you so much that he'll stop the whole service just for you. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. Praise God. Are you coming? Are you born again? You know that you're born again? How about you? Are you born again? Are you born again? Sure of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good. 
then you know what? You're already the temple of the Holy Spirit. All you've got to do is just open up the doors and receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. How about you? Are you born again? Sure. Amen. So you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? Amen. You know, I'd like to ask uh, Ashley, if he would, to take you. And I'm going to let Ashley, and we've got some other people over there, pray with you. It's really simple to receive the Holy Spirit. But there's just a few things we need to tell you. Plus, I've got a book that will explain it. And like I've been teaching, you've got to understand what happens. And this will explain it. And it will help you to receive the Holy Spirit and operate in it. So if you would, if you'd go with Ashley, they'll pray with you and they'll give you this book. And I believe that tonight you are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Is that a good deal? Awesome. Just follow Ashley right here and he'll help you. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. Again, before we pray with everybody, let me just say thanks for coming. I've had a great time this week. I really believe that people have been receiving. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you're never going to be the same. And I tell you, if you'll implement what we're talking about, you're going to be stronger than horseradish. Thank you, Jesus. So could I ask our prayer ministers to come up here? These are people that are going to agree with you. And like we were teaching, they have been specifically taught not to just approach God as, Oh God, would you please do something about this? They know that God gave us this power. They know that we have this power and they are going to speak to the mountain and they're going to take authority and command these things to come to pass. And I tell you, we've been getting awesome results. I've had people testify that deaf ears were open. There was a child with uh, muscular dystrophy running down the halls after prayer. Uh, we've had uh, blind eyes open, arthritis leave. There's been numbers of people testify of healing of cancer. I can't even think of everything else, but it's awesome. And the good news is that whatever your problem is, Jesus has already meant it. And he placed that power on the inside of you. These people know it. They're ready to pray with you. And praise God, we're going to see miracles happen. So if you would like prayer, I'd like to invite you to come right now and let us pray with you and help you to receive from God. If that's you, just get up out of your seat right now and come forward. We're going to have people that stand at the aisles that direct you towards a person. Please cooperate with them so that we can be more efficient praying for you. But if you want prayer, come. The rest of you, if you would, wait just a minute until these are free to get into the aisles. And then we'll dismiss you. Don't forget that we have DVDs and CDs of the entire week. All of the services, even tonight's, are already duplicated and available out here. Plus, we have all of this other materials and... Um, there's just a wealth of things that'll help you to get into the Word of God. If you don't know where to start, you can pick a subject. And we've got teaching that will direct you towards the Scriptures that will deal with whatever your problem is. So please take advantage of it. If you don't have the money for it, you can go to our website. And on our website, you can get anything that I have free of charge. You can get it there, either listen to it or download it or watch it on our website, but we want you to get the word of God. So please check it out. Amen. The rest of you, God bless you. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. If you need to be, I'm going to stay here and pray with people. 
and we're going to see miracles happen. You're welcome to stay, but you're dismissed if you need to be. Thanks for coming. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we agree with all of these and we thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you've already done it, that you sent your word to the earth. You have given us these promises and we believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead indwells us. So Father, we aren't just asking you as if we were powerless. We are approaching you as people who've been redeemed and have your supernatural power on the inside of us. And we lay hands on these people and command the healing to come. We take our authority in sickness. We command you to leave. We command demons to flee right now. We break the control and the dominion of demonic powers over people. We command you to loose them and to let them go now in Jesus' name. And Father, we loose your anointing to come into their bodies and restore whatever sickness or disease or demons have done to them. We thank you for recovery, quick recovery. We speak healing unto them, restoration unto these parts of their bodies. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive your supernatural power flowing in us right now and through us. And thank you that tonight every single person manifests your healing in their bodies. Father, we agree for every single person to manifest these healings in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is speaking to me right now concerning those of you that are still here, that there are some of you, when I was giving that testimony about finances, man, God quickened that to your heart. And you've been praying and asking God for finances, but you have not taken the seed of God's word. And this is a word from God for you, that if you would go to the word, if you would pick out scriptures on healing and meditate in them day and night, it may take you a period of time, but just like happened for me, all of a sudden you are going to see a supernatural breakthrough, but it'll come as you take the word of God and meditate on it and do what it says. If you have not been tithing, if you haven't been giving, if you have been hoarding because you're in financial problems. You're going to have to quit that and you're going to have to let God's word take root and you're going to have to go to obeying God. If you would take those scriptures, this is a word from God. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I'm not using a Pentecostal um, voice to say it in, but it's still from God. If you would take these things and put them into practice in your life, you can break poverty over your life. You can begin to prosper supernaturally. Amen. That's a word from God. Some of you have been praying for finances. There's your answer. You got your answer. It's the word of God sown in your heart. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree. And I just believe that people will receive that as being from you and act on it and let the word of God take root in their life on this subject of finances. If Father, we aren't going to cancel out your word because it's a recession 
because of what other people have to say, we thank you that there is no time that the Word of God will not bear fruit. There is no dormant season that, Father, your Word works every month out of the year. Thank you, Jesus. We receive it and believe that we are blessed and prosperous in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Somebody here's got a knot on, on your back in between your shoulders. I don't know what that is, but you've got a knot here, and the Lord just told me that He is healing that thing. It's going to leave you, and you're going to be healed. Who is that that's got this problem? You've got a knot right over here. Here's somebody else. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Here's another person. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just release them from this. We command that knot in their back, between their shoulders. We command that to go down. Whatever it is, if it's a tumor, if it's a bundle of nerves, Father, whatever it is, we just believe that the root of that thing is dead that that problem is leaving them. And now I loose your anointing to flow through their body and speak that that knot in between their shoulders is gone. You leave them now in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody's dealt with that since birth. Here's your healing. I believe that it's over. I believe you're healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. Father, we agree and receive. There's a number of people here that have been struggling with your eyes. And I'm not just talking about people that your eyesight isn't as good as it should be. I mean, you've got diseases, glaucoma, cataracts, uh, detached retinas. Uh, whatever else. If you've got disease in your eye, here's the healing power of God. If that's you, if you're receiving this healing for your eyes, I want you to stand. Raise your hand so I'll know who you are and we're going to pray for you. And I believe that the healing power of God is coming into your body right now. Father, for all of these, we just thank you. That Father Moses was 120 years old and his eyesight wasn't dim or his natural force abated. Thank you that he had an inferior covenant, that what we have is greater. You said that by your stripes we were healed. Moses never had that. Father, we take the word, these promises, and we speak them over ourselves. And we command our eyesight to be perfect, healthy. We command disease to be gone now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Cataracts, glaucoma, detached retinas anything else in the name of Jesus. We command all of this stuff to leave our bodies. Sickness and disease leave our eyes right now in Jesus' name. Eyes, we speak to you that you're healed. We release anointing to flow through these eyes and we command our sight to come back. We refuse to speak anymore that we are losing our sight, that we have this disease. Our confession is that by the stripes of Jesus, we're healed. And that our eyesight's getting better every day. Father, we speak this and we thank you that your power is flowing and setting people free. 
eyes you open up now in the name of the Lord Jesus and you see clearly. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you that you are touching people's eyes right now and that people's eyes are open. Hallelujah. Man, I believe the power of God is flowing in your eyes. You're going to see better. Praise God. Father, we thank you that this disease is gone and now our eyes are in the recovery mode. They're getting better from this time forth in Jesus' name. Y'all believe that? Do you believe that? That's a question. Shake your head. Yes or no. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Hallelujah. God's ministering to people's hearts. If you've had something wrong with your heart, irregular heartbeat, heart disease, clogged arteries, whatever. If you've got problems with your heart, I want you to stand and raise your hand. We're going to release the power of God. And I believe that your hearts are being healed. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Father, for these that are standing right now with their hand up, I release your anointing right now to flow into these bodies. Hearts, you be healed. We speak anointing into these hearts. And Father, I thank you that your power is touching their hearts and that they are being healed, that they're getting a brand new heart. Thank you, Father, for touching them. Thank you that any damage, some of you have had a part of your heart that's been damaged. It's like some of your heart died. And it hasn't been working. Here's the healing power of God resurrecting that heart muscle. It's coming back to life and working. Father, we loose your anointing now. And we thank you that all of these hearts are healed. That your power is flowing through them. And by the stripes of Jesus, they are healed. Praise God. You believe that? Amen. You need to reach out and take that just right now. Start thanking God that you are healed. Don't worry what you feel like. Thank God that you are healed. Praise Him. Father, we believe it. We receive it. That we are healthy and whole. Praise God. There are people here that have had an infection and you just have not been able to get over this. There's all kinds of infections that people have. But you know, here's the healing power of God. I believe healing infections, uh, skin problems that you haven't been able to recover from. If you've got one of those, if you've got a problem, I want you to stand and raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. And here's the healing power of God flowing towards you now. Father, in Jesus' name, we command infection to be gone. We command viruses to be gone or cirrhosis or whatever, psoriasis, whatever it is, it's a problem in our flesh. We just speak to this flesh and command it to be healed. Command the infections to be gone for these bodies to heal now. We believe that the root of that thing is gone, that the sickness and disease is gone. And now we lose your anointing to quicken our body that it will repair itself. We speak healing over our bodies. Father, thank you that right now our flesh closes up and that we are healed and our bodies are recovering from this moment forth. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We agree and we receive this. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen. You believe that? 
Praise the Lord. I believe you are healed in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Awesome. You know, is there anybody in here that has got something that we hadn't covered yet? You hadn't had prayer? If you need something, I want you to stand. Raise your hand. I'm just going to pray and we're going to lose the power of God. I believe whatever you need, you're going to get it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, for all of these, whatever it is, I know it's the same anointing that heals cancer, that heals a heart, that heals a cold, that heals the eyes, that heals the ears. I believe that your anointing is more than sufficient to heal anything that is wrong with us. So we just speak that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed that it's already been provided and now this power is placed on the inside of us. And you said death and life are in the power of our tongue. So we use our words right now to kill sickness and disease, viruses, anything that's coming against us. We speak death to cancer, death to any of these negative things. Leave our body, get out of us in Jesus' name. And now we release life with our tongue and speak that the anointing of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells on the inside of us. And we release it with our mouth and speak that this anointing and power is flowing through us from the top of our head down to the bottom of our feet. That, Father, everything in between is experiencing your supernatural anointing and power flowing through us. And we speak healing to all parts of our bodies. Thank you that we are healthy and whole. And Father, we just take this truth, the seed of God's word. We plant it in our heart and we thank you that healing is manifesting itself in our bodies in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. You agree? Praise the Lord. Man. I believe you're healed. Now you need to stand your ground and not let that word be stolen from you. Praise God, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Isn't that great? Well, hug somebody, tell them how much you love them. Tell them that, praise God, I'm glad you were here and you're dismissed. God bless you.